Welcome to Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up with courage and faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who faced trials head on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. Welcome, everybody. So wonderful to have you join us again today. And I cannot wait for you to hear the story of my next guest. Let me tell you about her. A writer and a reader of hopeful fiction with a healthy dose of romance, my guest can find the hope and sometimes the humor in most any situation, including her husband's cancer, their infertility, and her menagerie of fur babies, all who insist on sleeping on, yes, her side of the bed. A multi-published author and editor, excited to share, by the way, her new release of her audio book, uh, the new release of the audio, Summer Plans and Other Disasters, She runs her own editing business while editing for Ironstream Media and teaching and writing and editing classes online and at conferences around the country. She lives in northern Michigan with her husband and their pets, and they admit they drink too much decaf coffee and put up their Christmas tree the very first weekend in November, but they do their best to live every day for the Lord Please welcome my guest today, Karen Beery. Hi, Thank Karen. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm already laughing. You know, there's something about when somebody says that they're they're kind of a humorist, then I just, I'm already prepared to laugh and enjoy this interview. <laughs> but life hasn't always been a barrel of monkeys, right? We, you haven't laughed your way through everything. There's been some heartache and some pain. We're going to talk about that today, some perseverance, but yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about you and we'll get into your story. Well, you had mentioned, uh, you know, my husband's cancer and I remember when I was single and they give you all this advice about when you you know get married. And uh, one thing that I remember is in your first year, you know, you don't want to change jobs or move houses, um, nothing drastic because you're going through a lot of change anyway. So my husband and I got married and I quit my job and he started a new job and we moved houses and then he was diagnosed with cancer. Oh my goodness. And it was just, it was so much change. Uh, and I have two sisters and I had lived in a sorority house. Um, I don't have any brothers. So living with a man for the first time was shocking enough as, it, as <laughs> is. Um, right. But at this, at that point, we were both starting new jobs. We had nothing. <laughs> we, we, uh, you know, we rented a 800 square foot house from his parents. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. We didn't have insurance. Oh, um, it was just, we had nothing but each other and God. Wow. And so right out of the gate, you guys yeah. are kind of breaking all the rules for conventional wisdom, as they say, don't make any changes. Everything in Everything. your first year of marriage changed. And including, was this a, a life-threatening cancer? It wasn't life-threatening, uh, but it was testicular cancer. And we had just gotten married. And um, the first oncologist said, well, you'll never have kids. 
Oh goodness. And it turned out, first of all, that that was not, that was not correct information. We found another oncologist got a second opinion. Um, but it was, it was crazy because we got engaged three months after we met, we got married five months later, and this diagnosis happened nine months after that. So we barely even knew each other while all of this was going on. Yeah. What um, a whirlwind. And how old were you guys when you got married? We were both 27. Okay. So, so uh, like 19 or 20, but no, still no. very yeah, young. We, yes. But we, you know, we'd had some time to live on our own and, you know, we knew how to adult at the time. Yeah. So we were comfortable with that. Uh, but we, we didn't have any choice but to put it in God's hands. And the short version of the story is that God absolutely took care of us, including getting my husband insurance so that everything was covered. Um, you know, one hospital stay alone was $21,000. I have no idea how oh, we would have covered that. Right. Um, but he ended up having everything covered by insurance. Um, he is now cancer. He's been cancer free. Oh, I'm trying to think it's got to be at least, you know, nine or 10 years now. So he's Great fine. God. I usually tell this story because I started writing because of his cancer. And so I start telling that story. And by the time we get to the end, somebody's always like, but how's your husband? Can you yeah. tell us? Why so yes, <laughs> he's fine. Um, wonderful. But that's, I mean, that's exactly, that's what prompted me on my whole writing and editing journey. So it just, everything happened really quickly and really intensely in a short period of time. Um, and for me, I've just always dealt with the trauma and hardships of life through laughter. So, um, I'm always looking for hope and I like to escape even in when my husband was going through this, you know, if I really needed to just relax, I'd put in, you know, beauty and the beast cartoon and just sing my little heart out. Yes. Um, Yes, there's something wonderful about a romance that kind of sweeps us away. But, you know, we're authors, we're writers, we're editors, and that's our world anyways. We love words, we love story, we love uh, all things, you know, books, if you're like most of us that we're kind of addicts. But you did not expect to find yourself in a story that was written this way. And you jumped from... We met, we got married, he had cancer and everything turned out well, but I got to imagine there was a journey of perseverance of some confusion in there. Bring us into that space just for a moment. There was a lot, um, granted, you know, getting married at 27 isn't late, uh, but I was one of the last of my friends to get married. I had seen, you know, so many of my friends got married between 20 and 23, 24 so it's like, okay, I waited a few years longer and we didn't know at first what the diagnosis would be. We just heard cancer. And the first thought is, okay, I just got my husband. Are you going to take him from me? Mm-hmm. And if you take him from me, am I still going to trust that that's your plan, yeah. that you still have something for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it, that was so much of, because it was about a two and a half year um, experience. He had three rounds of chemo. He had to have two surgeries and lots of just recovery. Um, you know, and truly times sitting there thinking, we don't know how we're going to pay our bills right now, or we've paid the bills and we don't have money for groceries. We'll figure out something. And randomly we get a tax return in the mail from taxes that he had filed late and the check never showed up and it just pops up into our mailbox. Um, 
it was just, it was two and a half years of really learning that God is there. He is really going to provide for you. He is really going to care for you. Uh, And especially because once my husband was diagnosed, I had just quit my job and I was like, okay, I'll go ask them if I can have my, my job back. And I very distinctly heard the Lord tell me, no, Mm. yes. You know, I, I told you to quit your job. You did that out of obedience to me. So here, my husband was going through all this and we still didn't know that we had insurance and I was going to be working part-time substitute teaching. So it took an incredible amount of faith. And really, you know, sometimes I look back and it's like, man, if that was my kid, I probably would have said, what are you doing? Like there are so many other more secure things out there, but we're like, well, we've got God and that's it. And, uh, but like I said, it was during that time because I'm such an escapist in order to deal with what my husband was going through because he would have chemo for five hours a day. So while he was doing that, I would go down to the library or the bookstore and I would read books because I just needed a disconnect because reality was so hard. It was painful. It in, um, and that's why I started writing hopeful fiction because I wasn't looking for books that ministered or taught me anything. I just wanted to escape and I wanted a happy ending. Yes. Let's talk about that just for a second, because, you know, I can hear some people say, well, you, you don't face reality and you got to stay in reality, but isn't it a gift from God to be able to have moments that just kind of sweep us away, give us a a pause, a divine sila, the Bible calls Mm -hmm. it from sometimes these painful realities. And is that part of your mission that you, you want to write that hopeful fiction? Tell me more about that. Absolutely. Because, you know, like I I tell people when my husband was going through that, I don't want to read the story of somebody going through cancer or someone's child who died or, you know, um, there's just so much abuse in the world and not that I'm trying to ignore it and not that I don't want to participate in those ministries and help any of those victims, but sometimes your brain just needs to disconnect. Uh, Even, you know, right now we just remodeled our house and because of when the house remodel happened, um, all of my office was buried during tax season. So we had to delay our taxes because I literally couldn't get to my paperwork. So we're finishing it up now. And my husband was looking for this piece of paper and he'd been looking for days. I'm like, you need to stop. Give your brain a moment to disconnect. Mm -hmm. So he did. And I think he went outside and he was just, uh, he's a Lego fanatic. So he's kind of sorting through some Legos and he came back in. He's like, wait a minute. I think I know where it is. Ah. And he went right to it. And I think sometimes even just emotionally and spiritually, you can be so overwhelmed with what's happening that you're like, wait, I just need to disconnect. I'm either going to, you know, take two hours to watch a movie. I'm going to take an hour or two to read a couple chapters of this book. And it just kind of gives your emotions that break that it needs Mm -hmm. so that then you can go back and you kind of feel recharged. Um, And again, I mean, I do, there are some books that I've read that have some really deep issues that were fantastic. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the midst of something like that, sometimes you just need an, an emotional break. Yeah, that's, absolutely do. That, and that's you know, what I want to write. Yeah. And there's neuroscience that proves that what you're saying is absolutely true, that you need to come out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is that go, 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 overdrive, adrenaline search 
anxiety and come into parasympathetic, which is where the nervous system can relax and let go. And that's actually where your the brain fog will kind of lift and clarity and uh, creativity will come to you. It sounds like that's what your husband experienced. So you had moments and you've discovered that there was a real ministry in offering some hopeful fiction, Mm -hmm. some writing that would allow people to find spiritual hope and strength while going through difficult situations. And so you're a writer of hopeful fiction and um, say more about this, this journey that you're in now, because I did read in your bio that you did face infertility after the cancer was, was that doctor's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for diagnosis accurate then after all, or what happened there? Actually, it wasn't. Um, my husband and I got to be kind of our mid to late thirties and we had just never gotten pregnant. So we both went to the doctors. Uh, he went to his, I went to mine. We had all of these tests run And they told us, they said, there's nothing wrong. Mm. And they're like, we can give you some medication and things. If you'd like, there are some things that we can do to help. And when my husband and I first got married, we agreed uh, because we weren't sure. I I was like, I either want like two kids or want eight kids. Like either just give me a couple that I can handle or let's just go hog wild. Go crazy. Um, (laughs) And uh, my husband's like, well, I'm not sure. And so we just agreed. We're we're just going to ask God to give us as many kids as he wants us to have. And, um, so we've never practiced birth control. We have just been married for going on 16 years now. And, um, after we went to the doctor, you know, we prayed about it and we're like, should we, shouldn't we? And even still, I didn't have peace about it. Cause I felt like I might be forcing God's hand. And so we just continued to stay in that Lord, whatever you want. And we're going to trust you with as many kids as you want us to have. And if that's no children, then that's no children. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in our early forties now, still hopeful. I still every, you know, every now and then think maybe, um, but in the meantime, I've got three teenage nieces and nephews that uh, live in Las Vegas. And because I don't have children, they, for the last six years have come to spend their summers with me. And if I had kids, I wouldn't be able to do that. And every February, I mean, you're in Michigan, you know how long February can be, even though it's the shortest month of the year, Um, (laughs) because of the job that I have, I just go out there and I visit my family. They're out out there. It's sunny all the time. Um, And I now have a new 14 month old nephew who lives 10 miles away from me. And I get to see him every week. I get all the best of the baby. I just pass him back. (laughs) I don't have have sleepless nights. So, um, you know, that doctor told us that we wouldn't have kids and really we could have kids, but again, we're leaving it in God's hands. And at this point we don't have children. So we just continue to praise him and thank him for the lives that we have. And if he should give us kids when we're 45, it would be very, and so uh, uh, quite the adjustment, but so be it, because we just want everything to be his will and his plan. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful attitude to have. And I know that that's got to empower you and ha- helps you keep your focus on what God wants and how he wants to use you in your life. And you talked about in your bio, you said something about perseverance. So you've learned something about that. What did you learn? How do you define perseverance? How does that operate in your life? You know, like as far as having 
you know, a family of our own with kids, we're still in that. I mean, we're, we're still, we're, we're getting older, but we're still in, uh, you know, an age group, a family is still a possibility. Absolutely. And like I said, we're going on 16 years. Um, so we're in the midst of that. But even with the writing, it took 10 years for me to get my first uh, book contract. Mm-hmm. And I met people along the way and I helped other people. I would say, oh, well, have you looked at this group? Oh, well, let me offer you this critique. And I would give advice and I would watch all of these people I'd given advice to get book contracts, oh, win wow. novel contests for their writing um, or start their own editing companies. And all within a year, they're like, I'm so booked that I quit my job and I couldn't get anyone to hire me. It was. And so I literally spent a decade watching other people succeed with the advice I had literally given them. Yeah. Wow. I was ready to quit. And I asked God about it at one point. And he's like, you are a very smart person. And if I had called you into any other industry, you could have made it on your own. But I called you into this industry because you need to learn how to fail. Mm-hmm. And you need to learn how to trust in me through wow. those failures. Wow. That was hard. <laughs> that was really, there was a lot of tears. Um, there were several months of no writing, a lot of pizza, a lot of chocolate. Um, <laughs> but every time I sat back down and every time I thought about just walking away and you know, going back to the hospitality industry, I couldn't do it because I knew this was where God was calling me. Yes. Um, so yeah, it took 10 years to get my first book published. Uh, the, and then the next one came out the next year and now I'm kind of in a holding pattern again. Okay. My agent's got my manuscript, but uh, just, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what God has for me in store, because he's definitely taking me on the long path. He is not taking me on any shortcuts through anything at this point. Well, yeah. And it sounds like at all through your life, actually, since your adult life, your marriage and those things, you faced obstacles and you've had to persevere. And it's uh, Angela Duckworth that writes the book on grit, you know, talking mm-hmm. about stick to itness and not giving up and I know I've done a lot of that in my life too. And it's um, it's not for the faint of heart, is it, to hold on to a dream and to believe for a dream and to not let go or to not turn loose in prayer, but to keep believing God. Was there ever a moment where you got angry with God? Where are you like, come on, God, what's up? I mean, how did you, how did you get through some of that disappointment? Several times. Um you know, I have, I'm part of an amazing ministry. And uh, one of the things that my pastor has said many times that has always stuck with me is if you're angry, that's your choice. God doesn't make you angry. You choose to be angry with him. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like, you know, instead of being angry, ask God for his perspective on the situation. Ooh, that's good. And so there were many times when it took, you know, weeks or months before I got to that point where I was sick of being mad and I was like, okay, God, give me your perspective then. Right. And then, wow. When you, even when you're sarcastic, when you ask, he'll show you and he'll start to show you what he's been trying to teach you and what he wants you to understand and why, and not always all of the why, but some of the why as to the path that he's put you on versus the path that somebody else is on. Um, And, you know, there were times too, even watching someone who I may have, you know, mentored or critiqued or helped and I'm watching them win things. And I was like, dear God bless them too. (laughs) Um, Right. 
But you know, never wanting to let envy or jealousy really take hold because I knew how important it was when I was having meltdowns. Um, I joined some Christian writers groups and I know there are secular writers groups out there, but I tell you what, when you can just go before a bunch of people who really understand what you're going through and say, I am ready to quit. I can't take this. I'm heartbroken. The prayers that you get and the support that you get is just unmatched. And um, I will always uh, encourage people because my first novel was a Christian novel. And what was the name of it again? That's Summer Plans and Other Disasters. Um, My next novel that came out and I had a novella that came out earlier this year, I've switched to clean general market. A lot of reasons. That's a whole nother conversation there. Um, And I'm just completely blanked on that. How I got going there. Sorry, I interrupted you and you were just talking about going to Christian writers groups and having these people pray for you. Um, And so, you know, a lot of people know, even though I'm writing for the general market now, all of my professional memberships are with Christian organizations. I member of a Christian editors network, a Christian speakers network, a Christian writers network, because that supports, I mean, the information and content that you get, the support and uh, education that you get on how to improve your speaking and how to prove your writing. It's the same. It doesn't matter whether you're going to Christian or general market. But that just sisterhood and that fellowship that you have with other believers, even if you're going to write uh, secular books, I highly encourage those Christian professional groups because it's not an understatement to say that those friendships and those memberships really have what what have gotten me, helped gotten me to this point. That's so true of true of my situation too. And you mentioned earlier, you know, really guarding your heart so that you combat jealousy or competitiveness, that spirit that tries to get on board. If you're in a secular group, ooh, it's it, it's brutal, you know. And so the sisterhood that you have in those groups that you mentioned is really valuable. And I want to go back to something you said because I'm still or uh, circling around that, orbiting around that thought. God spoke to your heart and he said, you're a smart cookie and you would be self-reliant if you were in any other industry, maybe uh, independent of me, maybe those are my words, but Mm -hmm. I put you in a place where you have to fail. What does that mean? Does that mean that God wanted you to experience your need for him? Or how did you... How did you interpret that? Thankfully, he didn't tell me that until I was on the other side of it. Okay. I think if he had told me that at the beginning of the journey, I would have said, forget it. I like, actually, I probably would have said, sure. And then eventually would have said, forget it. Um, But honestly, when I was in high school and even in college, I fully planned on um, getting a degree in chemistry. I wanted, I loved math and science. I love that two plus two always equals four, that if you take two hydrogens and one oxygen, you're always going to get water. And then you go to writing and your favorite book might be a book that I despise. Yeah. It's the same words in the same order. And you can have two completely different passionate responses to it. It makes me crazy. And especially if I read a book that I know that is technically there's tons of errors and then you see it win awards and 
know, that left brain side of me is just like, I can't handle this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, God needed to teach me, you know, through that, well, here's something that's, it's not perfect, mm-hmm. but it's still valuable and it's still amazing and it's still touching people's lives. And I mean, there are so many different things that he was able to teach me, but it really wasn't until I got um, onto the the tail end of things, probably after my first book was published, when he really started to show me, I put you on the long path because I needed you to see too, how badly you fail. Because Mm -hmm. when I fail and I get frustrated and angry and anxious about things, well, that's not fruit of the spirit. So those are things in my life that I need to work through. And, you know, those were some sins in my life I needed to repent of. And I need to God to show me those areas where I wasn't trusting him. And as long as I could be in the chemistry lab and could figure out all the answers on my own, because my brain worked that way, Mm -hmm. I didn't have to trust him. Mm -hmm. So he put me in the publishing industry where... Oh, it's so an asymmetrical world. It's not congruent. It's messy and mushy and constantly changing. You know, you don't see that math changes, but you see that the Chicago manual of style gets updated every so many years because grammar rules change. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really, it was the best way for him to be able to pull me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. But I am thankful because he let me work with novels and fiction, it's something that I love so much that I was willing to stick with it because I mean, where else, you know, is your market research sitting around reading novels all weekend? Because I don't know what else is out in the marketplace right now. So God gave you the perfect career and he gave you the perfect, I mean, your passion just flowed right over into what you do because you loved books and you used it as an escape. I hope that now that it's your business, you still can escape in a book and not get too caught up going, Ooh, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's right. Can you still get lost in a good story? Absolutely. And it it did take a few years though. And I teach other editors how to edit novels And I do warn them, you know, for maybe two to five years, you're not going to be able to pick up a novel and enjoy it. It's going to, but eventually you get to that point where you can look past the issues and just enjoy the story. Cause I mean, most of the time they're just minor issues anyway. Um, But yeah, you do get to that point where you can just, but you know, isn't that what you hope people do with you too. Like they can overlook all those little minor flaws and just enjoy who you are. Yes. Yes, I do. Well, this is so delightful. Um, Let's talk about just for a moment that, uh, so you've persevered through life's challenges and trials and God let you experience your fallibility and he, you've gotten comfortable with being uncomfortable in a shifting, changing world. And now it's your business. You did you not start your own editing company or you're a freelance editor? Talk, talk to about that. Um, with my first manuscript, I hired an editor, but I knew nothing about it. So I hired an editor who edited nonfiction instead of had a fiction editor. Um, and I didn't know anything about the services. So what I hired her for, she did a really nice job with but I didn't need that edit. I needed a different one. Uh So 
she did what I paid her for, but it really didn't help me at all. And at that point, because this was when my husband was going through cancer, uh, we didn't have any extra money. So I had to teach myself how to edit, ah. uh, which is one of the reasons it took so long because I couldn't afford to pay somebody to do it. But through that process, I discovered I actually like editing more than I like writing. Uh, in my perfect world, I would have a co-author. We would plot out a manuscript. She would write the first draft and then I would edit it and we'd come together and we'd have a book when we're done. Um, okay, so yeah. we've got to interrupt because all of you who are listening to this have a book in you yeah, exactly. are looking for that match. Here you go. Exactly. Um, because yeah, that, that first draft is just torturous for me. Um, but learning how to edit, I just really, I loved doing it. And I realized that I was able to explain those concepts to people. Uh, so I took all these the classes that I could. And then as the teacher that I had learned under when she retired, I took over her classes. Okay. And I, a lot of this is very selfishly motivated. I just want to read better books. So I want to help editors and authors learn how to create better books. So then I started reaching out to conferences um, because there were classes that hadn't been taught. The first class I ever taught was how do you find the right editor? Because I had wasted my money on an editor that was wrong for me. Right. Um, and I wanted to help people prevent that in, in their own journey. Uh, so, yeah, now when I, I meet people, I tell them I'm actually an editor who writes because I very much like that side of things. I, you- I have to really put down a really ugly first draft. And then once it's down, then I can edit and I can relax and enjoy the process. Yes. So are you a nice editor? Cause sometimes editors scare me. <laughs> um, I'm nice in that I will always point out strengths, but I absolutely will never, never sugarcoat because it's not doing anyone any favors at all to not point out every issue that I see. Um, I work with a lot of new writers. So I do that first round of editing, which is that big picture organization, flow, characterization, plot structure. Um, and usually there's a lot of issues with new writers. Sure, there would be, yeah. So uh, I do let people know if they're going to get into substantive editing, it, it's part editing and it's part counseling. Because <laughs> I, I often do a lot of phone calls with my authors when I was working with the publishing house and as um, a business owner, because I don't ever want anyone to think, oh, this is too much. I'm going to quit. Right. Because I'm working with people oftentimes on their first manuscript. I'm like, my first manuscript is in a drawer someplace. I don't know if it'll ever come out. You know, it was my third manuscript that got me an agent, but it was actually my second manuscript that was published first. I'm like, if you hired an editor on this first go round, you're in a great place. So it, there's a lot of encouragement. And I also remind them, Steve Jobs uh, had a quote, and I, I have to find where I wrote this down, something to the effect of it takes three to four years to master a skill. So give yourself six to seven years. Okay. So I like to remind people, if you wrote this manuscript last year, you were at the beginning uh phase of your journey that it can take years to learn how to do this. So don't get discouraged. Um, but yes, your, your page will probably bleed with some red 
<laughs> so <laughs> I'll hold your hand. I'll help you. I'll encourage you. But we're going to attack all of those issues. But that's why we do love editors, because we need them. And for a person who thinks that their book is OK with not being edited, they their manuscript ready to roll without that they're doing themselves a disservice, especially in the world today where there's a lot of self-published and that's great. We can do that now. We could do eBooks. We can do all kinds of things, but don't skip the step of having it edited because Absolutely. our eyes don't even see after a while, our brain will insert words that aren't even there. So it's not even just grammar. It's like you said, it's construction and mm -hmm. plot and sequence and you know, this, you clearly know what you mean, but the reader has no idea what you're talking about here. Absolutely. All those things. So we do love editors. Mm -hmm. So thank you for doing the hard thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, we don't want it sugar-coated. Well, a spoonful of sugar helps yes. medicine go down. So Absolutely. <laughs> but well, it's wonderful to have you on today. I've really enjoyed this. What would you say Let's mix two thoughts together. Perseverance for the new writer who's looking at their first manuscript that's bleeding with red and they want to quit. What would you tell them? If that is a manuscript that they are absolutely passionate about, that I want this to be my first manuscript out, our first one published, just be willing to spend four or five years on it. But know that that's okay, that's average, that's normal. Mm. Or be willing to make the necessary changes, learn from it, and then say, I'm going to take what I learned and I'm going to start a new story. Because sometimes just starting that fresh story, um, new excitement, you're ready to go, you can always go back. A lot of people think that they need to get that first manuscript published. You can but it's not necessary unless you literally are going to burn your computer and, you know, destroy the cloud and burn every piece of paper in the world. You can pretty much always go back to it at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so just take every opportunity as a learning opportunity. Like I said, if you're passionate and you can't move past it, be willing to give yourself a few years, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's only a mistake if you read it and ignore it and then try to do it on your own. Well said. And going back full circle, when you talked about your husband just needing to, to have that break and mm -hmm. then his brain all of a sudden gave him the solution. Sometimes just putting a manuscript aside, mm -hmm. releasing ourselves from the expectation, because then I think we get we get so determined to finish something that we 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 end it too quickly. We take shortcuts. We write something that's not believable. So just take a break put it aside. Like you said, we have permission to do that. We're not quitting, but yep. we're giving our brain the opportunity to refuel and get fresh creativity. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. And uh, then we might, and probably will end up with a much better story than when we, if we just tried to keep pressing in. So mm -hmm. perseverance is good, but also I hear you say know when to take that, that break and to release yes. yourself from that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Thanks. Well, I wish you well. And um, I'm going to pray too that, you know what, the desire of your heart will be fulfilled. Let God be God and let him do with you what he wants. Tell people how they can reach you. And if they want your services, are you taking clients? 
Um, right now, thankfully, I'm busy through March of next year. Okay. Um, but uh, especially if people are looking for just kind of a read through or a critique, I can usually always find time to fit those in. Okay. Um, best place to find me as an author is at karenbeery.com. Uh, and I'm assuming you'll have my name spelled there. Everybody spells it wrong, so make sure it's spelled correctly. Uh, or my business website is right now edits, W R I T E now edits.com. And I have a blog on there. You'll see some author interviews. I love to talk to other authors about what works for them because what works for me isn't going to work for everybody else. Uh, but you'll see some of my resources and my services on there. And if you've got a novel, I love to talk fiction. So Wonderful. always available. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for opening up those places that are intimate and private, but allowing us to hear it to inspire hope and to encourage us to stick with it, our passions and stay by it. Because we not we don't know what God's going to do. We're all in our story, right? Right. Absolutely. So my guest today, Karen Beery, you're listening to the Arise Esther podcast. And I do have a question for all of you who are listening, you modern day Esthers. I'm wondering, is this your moment to arise? I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And hey, if you've not done so yet, why don't you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss another episode. Or you can visit us at AriseEster.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the movement. Visit us today to get connected. For more information about me, Dawn Damon, visit DawnDamon.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for a free breakthrough strategy session. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment. <laughs>